What's up, everybody? It's the Casey's Corner Podcast here on LaFoucheGazette.com, reporting live on this Sunday afternoon here. As always, under the carport here at the house in Cutoff, Louisiana. Hope you guys are having a wonderful weekend. If you hear a little buzzing in the background, it ain't static on my laptop. It's my neighbors that are weed eating. <laughs> uh, yes, the last episode we had to hear a rainstorm. Today we might have to hear a little, a little weed eating, so we'll deal with that. Um, we've got a jam-packed show coming your way. We've got two call-in guests today. Um, completely different worlds. Uh, we're going to have former South Lafouche football coach Terry Former on the line. I get asked all the time by people, man, how's Coach Former doing? Where's Coach Former at? You know, um, I know after we did the episode with Rusty Bourne, got asked that question a lot. You know, hey, how's Coach doing? Um, so I figured, you know what? I'll just go ahead and I'll give Coach a call and have him on the podcast, and he could tell us how he's doing, and he gave us a great interview. I know you guys are going to look forward very much to hearing that. Um, In the second uh, calling guest, we have a professional wrestler locally, Brian Falcon, who will be on the line. He will talk to us about some of the things that um, goes into being a professional wrestler, some of the things that those guys have to endure, some of the things that those guys put their bodies through, And then Brian's also got a freaking phenomenal story that I'm so grateful he shared with us about uh, coronavirus and COVID-19. His mother was uh, one of the state's early COVID-19 patients, and they thought she was laying on her deathbed. And she's still here, still kicking, and has made a recovery. It gives me goosebumps thinking about it. I was about to start crying as he was telling me about it. Both of those interviews are in the can pre-recorded. And we'll play them a little bit later in the show. We're going to let our calling guests kind of drive the show a little bit today because we uh, published an episode on Friday. So not a whole lot has changed in the coronavirus picture nor in the sports picture since then. We will give a sports update and a COVID update, but they're not going to be as long as usual. And they're not going to feature uh, question and answers from our readers. But in the world of sports, um, man, it's not a whole lot going on. Uh, last night, I'm going to talk wrestling and UFC. So I'm going to tell you right now, there's not going to be any type of NBA update. There's not going to be any type of, well, we're going to probably talk a little bit of NBA. But there's not going to be any MLB, any NFL, any high school, anything like that. So um, if you don't want to hear me talk about UFC, and if you don't want to hear me talk about WWE, uh, just go ahead and and fast forward. Everything is time stamped. Just go ahead and fast forward to the Coach Farmer interview. I'm okay with that. You're not hurting my feelings at all. Um, But last night, UFC had fight night. um, Several bouts on ESPN. I've actually been doing a little bit of a better job paying attention to the UFC. Um, I'll be honest, I don't pay attention much whenever all the sports are going on. But when it's the only show in town, I'll sit down and I'll watch the fights a little bit and I'll tell you what I think. A couple of things that stood out to me. Um, First and foremost, there was a co-main event. uh, Sakai and and even off heavyweight bout, that was terrible. Both of those guys were not very good. they were both sluggish, both out of shape. Sakai got the decision victory, split decision victory. Uh, two thumbs down to both, though. I don't think that either one of those guys looked good. Now, in terms of the, the final match and the so-called main event, um, that was where we had kind of an upset. Uh, Woodley returned back to the octagon for the first time in more than a year, Tyron Woodley, to take on Gilbert Burns. And, you know, I'll be honest, being not a huge MMA fan, <clears throat> just kind of a casual follower. I knew who Tyrone Woodley was, obviously. I mean, he was former champion and, and you know, high-rated you know competitor in the welterweight division. 
I didn't know much about Gilbert Burns. Uh, didn't know much about his career, know much about the things that he's been doing. And he's now 19 and three and getting hot. And excuse my English or excuse my French rather, he beat the shit out of Tyrone Woodley last night. That was that was a beating. That was not you know a controversial split decision. That was not you know lucky sucker punch knockout. That was. A drumming, you know, he pounded and pounded and pounded for five rounds. I don't know if it was ring rust. I don't know if Tyrone Woodley's or Tyrone Woodley's getting a little older. Um, but Gilbert Burns looked really good, and you know, now there's the talk of him maybe getting a, a title shot or whatever it may be. I don't know enough enough about MMA to to say whether or not he deserves that. But he looked really, really good last night. Scored a couple of takedowns. Was in control of the entire fight. Landed 156 strikes. 83 significant strikes. Woodley on the other side only had 28 significant strikes. Um, that was a great performance by Gilbert Burns. And Teron Woodley it just didn't look like his head was in it from the beginning. Um, he looked distracted from the earliest seconds of the fight. Didn't look focused. And I don't know if maybe it's because in the early minutes of the fight he was you know, getting pounced on and you know, beat on. But he just never looked like he could shake that initial rust. Never got in a rhythm. And he got trounced so kudos to gilbert burns he was the big time star of the night and his uh his stock continues to rise in the world of mixed martial arts now one more fight that i'm going to talk about and then we'll kind of wrap up this and then get into some wwe um the fight of the night last night was uh billy quarantillo beating spike carlisle that was the third before last fight was the decision um all three judges gave it 29 28 to to Quarantillo, who's now 14 and two, um, man, those guys, <laughs> those guys both beat the tar out of one another. And uh, Spike Carlisle, from the early seconds of the fight, came out, you know, guns a blazing and was trying to get the early victory. And I was watching the fights with a couple of people, and I and I turned and I said, if Carlisle doesn't win via first round knockout, he's gonna gas out and he's gonna lose. And sure enough, that's exactly what happened. You know, he just kind of tired out. As the fight went on, and it allowed uh, Quarantillo to get an advantage and to you know secure the win, but that was the fight of the night. There was the most physicality in that fight. There was you know the most uh, drama and back and forth. That was a tough fight to score, tough fight to judge. And from what you know the the, the announcers were saying, being it was a catchweight fight, both of the guys are prospects. Uh, they knew going in that that had a chance to to kind of steal the show, so to speak, and it did. That was that was very good on a night where. There wasn't a whole lot of drama, and on a night where there wasn't a whole lot of close competitive fights, that was a close competitive fight, and that was you know something that was very interesting to see. One more MMA thing: uh, Roosevelt Roberts, uh, prospect in the uh, in the the lightweight division of UFC, looked great, scoring a rear naked choke victory over Brock Weaver. So shout out to Roosevelt Roberts, who's now ten and one. So that'll kind of wrap up our MMA part of the show. <laughs> now we're going to get into WWE. And again, if you don't want to hear me talk about wrestling, um, first off, shame on you. But second, go ahead and fast forward. You don't have to, you know, endure. We got everything time stamped. You can go straight to the Coach Farmer interview, and you're not going to be hurting my feelings. I understand it's an acquired taste, um, but there ain't a whole lot going on right now. If you could find me a game to break down or cover or review on this podcast, Send it my way. I'd love to. Um, but outside of like travel baseball and European soccer, there ain't a whole lot going on. So, you know, it's not a whole lot for me to break down. But WWE is just kind of heading towards its backlash pay-per-view, the greatest wrestling match ever. 
is sort of the subtitle for that pay-per-view. God, I hate that moniker. We're going to break that down even more. Um, four announced matches for the card. It's the same four matches since the last time we talked about the pay-per-view. Um, and But the storylines have evolved since then, so we're going to kind of talk about them. We've got Asuka versus Nia Jax. Uh, that's new. Um, before it was Asuka versus an unknown opponent. Um, here's a couple of things that I've learned, and I want to apologize because wrestling fans have been grilling me about this, and I've been very stubborn and very hard-headed. Uh, I've been very hard on Asuka on this show. I've said I didn't like her, didn't like her gimmick, thought she was annoying. Um, as I've been watching Raw in the last couple of weeks, and especially since she's become champion, she's growing on me a little bit, man. Um, the incoherent yelling and screaming, and I thought it was actually pretty funny that they asked her to do color commentary on Monday, and the announcers were pretending like they knew what she was saying when uh, they didn't have a clue. thought that was kind of funny. Um, I thought that it was kind of funny that you know she kept screaming for natalia on monday naughty naughty i thought that was entertaining and interesting um so i'll be actually rooting pretty heavily for oscar in this match because i can't stand nia Jax. um i don't get the nia Jax thing okay in a time and place in women's wrestling where the competitors are more fit and more in shape than they have ever been before you have Nia Jax, who is woefully out of shape, for one. For two, is not very skilled in the ring and not very nimble in the ring because she's so out of shape. And for three, is stiff as a board. She has hurt every single competitor on the roster. She's hurt Becky Lynch. She's hurt so many other competitors on the roster. Just recently, she hurt... You know, Asuka's little little sidekick, uh, you know, another one bites the dust, so to speak. Uh, you know, she had a botched move and hurt Kyrie Sane. I don't get it. You know, the, the three things that you're supposed to have. Oh, and she's not good on the mic. So the, the three things in wrestling you're supposed to have are a look, the ability to protect, you know, and be a good worker, and, you know, that strong physical appearance. She has none of the three. She's not charismatic compared to the other, you know, heel divas or, or women's wrestlers, not divas anymore. Um, she can't work. She's stiff. She's, you know, not athletic and woefully out of shape. I don't get it. I hope Asuka goes over here. Um, I mean, did you see Nia Jax go through that table on Monday? Like, for one, it was enough of a struggle for the other competitors to pick her up. And I'm not weight shaming, but she's out of shape. She would admit, she admits on social media she's out of shape. Uh, but then she couldn't physically take the bump. She's just not athletic enough to take the bumps necessary to make it look realistic. And I worry that, you know, in addition to her injuring other competitors, I worry that she's going to get hurt if she doesn't get in better shape. So I hope Asuka goes over in that match, and I hope that it, you know, continues her momentum, so to speak. Um, ain't a whole lot else. Uh, you got Strowman versus Miz and Morrison. I've already expressed my displeasure about that. Um, you, you're going to build up Strowman too heavy. Um, did the same thing to Bray Wyatt. You're going to build him up too heavy, and then at some point you're going to have to pay the rent, and you're going to have to get the belt off of him, and it's going to feel anticlimactic. He's going to go over the tag, you know, a contender for the tag team championships and two Hall of Fame wrestlers, and he's going to go over him in a squash. That's building him up too stiff. You, you can't do those things because, again, like I said, you're going to have to take the belt off of him at some point, and... 
whether it be when Brock comes back and he gets German suplexed a thousand times and gets beat, or whether it you know be whenever you're about ready to go back to Saudi Arabia and they want to give Goldberg you know a championship. I'm just kidding, saying tongue in cheek. I don't think Goldberg's gonna ever be the champion again. But I don't like that they build up these guys too high because man, at some point you gotta fall off of that cliff. And then as fans were left wondering, well, thought this guy was invincible, and you know what happened. The other championship match will be Drew McIntyre and Bobby Lashley. And I like Drew McIntyre, and I've said on this show, I wonder what it would look like when fans returned because I was curious to see just how over he actually was. Um, But I really like, really, capital R, really like what they're doing with Bobby Lashley. I think the alliance formed with MVP is interesting. Um, I think that MVP is giving him a good mouthpiece to fall back on. And I think that that little backstory, kind of laying in the weeds with he and Lana, yeah. I don't know if they got lucky. I don't know if they scripted this out in advance. They probably just got lucky. But the entire Lana wedding and, and you know, uh, Lana and my Bobby and all this crap that we had to endure, it's now starting to make a little bit more sense yeah, as it's being a backstory. As now Bobby's focusing on his career more. And um, I'm intrigued. I'm intrigued to see where that goes. I'm intrigued to see where it hits. I think MVP has always been underrated. I think he's enhancing Bobby Lashley. Uh, Bobby's always had the look, just never had the charisma on the mic. Now he's got a mouthpiece, and I think the sky's the limit. And that's one thing that I think that, you know, wrestling for a long time, WWE has been not very good um, for at least the last 18 months or so. Hadn't been very good. But they're doing some things now that make a little bit more sense. Um the return of factions, you know, the, the Andrade, you know, Garza, you know, uh, Vega, that stable. That, that's some of the best shit that they have on the show right now. Um, I like that. I like them. Um, you know, you got some other little factions and stables. The Monday Night Messiah and all of his little gang of cronies. That's pretty cool. Putting them a mouthpiece with, you know, Lashley. That's pretty cool. That makes sense. They're doing more easy things that make sense as opposed to just trying to jam square pegs down round holes over and over again. And that's why it's become more watchable. I've enjoyed watching Monday Night Raw the last couple of weeks. I was on my social media at Casey just Claire, Casey underscore just Claire on Twitter. I thought last Monday's show was pretty good. One thing I don't think is going to be pretty good is Edge versus Randy Orton, uh, the greatest wrestling match of all time. Um, yeah, no, it's not going to be the greatest wrestling match of all time. Um... And I hate that it's being billed that way. Um, you're putting so much pressure. How often in the world are we told uh, this is going to be flipping awesome? This is going to be the greatest thing since sliced bread. This is going to be the, the most phenomenal thing that we've ever seen. And I think AEW actually falls into this trap. And it's part of the reason why I don't like AEW as much as other people do. Is that their their fans are, are marks and cronies and they build up everything and say it's going to be the greatest thing since sliced bread and then you know they want to fight you whenever you just say oh, i was okay yeah, i was all right um and i think that they're doing this to this edge and art match and if you want to bill it as the greatest thing ever that's cool but i think one of the big mistakes in booking that they're making right now is don't then bring in rick flair and some of the other legends you know Shawn michaels i'm sure is going to be up next and some of the others and remind me of all the things that this match has to compete against. Because I saw Ric Flair on Monday, and the first thing that I thought of whenever I saw Rick on the show was all of his great matches, all of his great feuds, all of his great angles. 
and it just reinforced to me why this is not going to be the greatest match of all time. And, you know, if they're going to do the same thing and bring in Shawn Michaels to cut a promo, and it's going to remind me and reinforce to me and reassure me again that this won't be the greatest wrestling match of all time. Not a chance. It won't even be top 10. Um, so I hate that it's being billed that way. Edge is at a stage in his career where he just physically can't do that anymore. Randy Orton has never been in a stage of his career where he could be the best at anything uh, in terms of, you know, wrestling matches. He's got a decent look, got good charisma. He's a Hall of Famer. But... Do you honestly really think that any match that Randy Orton has ever had is in the top 20 greatest matches of all time? I don't. Uh, so now you're going to say that this guy who usually shoots two under par is going to all of a sudden shoot 12 under par and break the course record? I don't think that's going to happen. Um, so I think you're setting fans up for failure. You're promising them a million-dollar match when you're actually going to give them a $50,000 match. And look, there ain't nothing wrong with a $50,000 match. That's the thing that I think sucks the most about this is I think that Edge and Orton could have done a really good match and put on a really good show and made you know a really strong um, message that, hey, man, we still got it a little bit. And that would have been okay if it were just that. But now they've got to live up to something that I think they just simply can't. And I'm curious. I hope I get proved wrong. I hope this is the greatest match of all time. But if I were a betting man, and I am, I don't think this is going to sniff anything. I don't even know if it's going to be the best match of 2020. I don't know if it's going to be the best match that either of these guys have ever had because I just don't think they're in that mode right now in their respective careers. So a little bit of NBA news, and then we'll take a commercial break, and then we'll go to our call-in guest. The NBA has kind of settled in now on their plan for reopening. Um, as we talked about on the last show, it's going to be July 31st, Disney World. And, but a couple of details have since been finalized since then uh so we'll talk about that uh they're going to be inviting 20 excuse me to 22 teams um to vegas and they're going to be playing a short resumption of the regular season and then they'll be doing a play-in tournament before getting into the postseason uh, and, and you know unless if something changes um i hate it <laughs> i hate it uh we talked in the last show about what my preferred plans were for reopening I like the World Cup thing. I like seeding teams 1 through 16, regardless of conference. Like, why the hell does conference matter if everybody's in Orlando? The whole conference idea is to limit travel. If everybody's in one city, why in the hell do we still have to have conferences? Why? Makes no sense. It's just doing something just for the sake of doing it, and that's, I think, a bad idea. And then the, the second thing is, okay, so we're going to play an eight-game regular season and then we're going to have a play-in tournament well i think we all agree that in those eight games yeah there may be some short fluctuations in terms of the standings but the teams who are going to be in the play-in tournament are not going to change based on the eight games in the west it's still going to be memphis it's going to be you know new orleans it's going to be um portland so that the eight games just feel again like doing something just for the sake of doing something it's going to be you know kind of a warm-up or a preseason and i don't know how much of the games are going to actually matter and i think ultimately it's just putting guys at risk for no reason so i wish that if we would have eight games and we would be either doing the world cup format like i talked about or we would be seeding one through 16 
and regardless of conference. The fact that we're still going to have an East and a West in this playoffs when everyone is in the same city out at Disney World is the stupidest thing I maybe have ever seen. And um, I just don't get it. I, I don't get it. I don't understand that. I don't think it's right. I don't think there's so much that doesn't make sense about it. Now, a couple of things to pay attention to. Uh, one, will Kevin Durant come back and play? If he doesn't, shame on him because he's long recovered from that Achilles injury now. That was a year ago. He's he's long recovered. The Nets are in playoff contention. He can make a real difference out east. And then the second thing, I want to see who's in shape and who's not. I know my Rockets are in shape. I follow him on social media. James Harden's lost 20 pounds. Eric Gordon has lost 15 pounds. I know my Rockets are in shape. Now, will other teams be in as good a condition? I don't know. But that's going to be curious to keep an eye on. And I don't think that whoever wins this championship is going to get an asterisk. But I do think this is going to be one of the more memorable postseasons of our lifetime. There's potential for a lot of crazy stuff to happen. And I look forward to seeing it all. But I just hate that we got to wait until July 31st to get it. Disney World's going to have been open for three weeks before we get basketball players out on the floor. Um, insane stupidity. And I'm saying that with air quotes because we don't even know. By, you know the conditions change so much. And they try so heavily to be the most woke, you know, folks in the business. We may not even have basketball by then. They may continue to push it back even further. But anyway, that's our sports update. We thanks so much for listening. Guys, I stress this every show. Go find us on iTunes, man. Like, our numbers are growing a little bit there, but they're not growing as much as they should be. Um, you don't have to do any more work. We will send you the episode straight to your phone. Search, you know, go on iTunes, go to the podcast section, type Casey's Corner. It'll come up, hit subscribe, then you're done. We will send every episode straight to your phone. You get a notification. Hey, Casey posted another episode today. If you want to listen to it while at work, go ahead. If you don't and you want to wait till, you know, the next day or, you know, during your commute home or whatever, go ahead and do it that way. It, it takes the entire burden out of your hands. You don't have to do anything after that. Just go ahead and hit subscribe. It's no burden at all. It's not going to, you know, there's not any trick or gimmick. You know, we're not getting your email address or any information from you or anything. It's all done through the Apple you know, iTunes store. Go ahead and subscribe. It makes your life so much easier. Two great call-in interviews. They're both pre-recorded, so I could tell you I've heard them both. They're both wonderful. Brian Falcon, Terry Former. We lead off with Coach Terry Former after this commercial break. It's the Casey's Corner Podcast on thefoosgazette.com. Coach Former, Coach Falcon, then a brief COVID update. And then back to the rest of your Sunday afternoon right here on LaFoucheGazette.com. And this would be a good reminder to remind you about the LaFouche Gazette app available in all app stores today. Uh, just go to your app store, type LaFoucheGazette.com. You get the latest access to all of our news that we're producing. You can get push notifications and anything that we're producing, we could send it to you on your app. 100% easy, 100% free. You don't have to do anything except go to your app store, type LaFouche Gazette, download our app today. That's where you can get all the latest and greatest and stay informed with everything happening in our community. Again, it's the LaFouche Gazette app in your app store, available today. You think you know me. On this day, I see clearly everything is It's the Casey's Corner Podcast here on LaFoucheGazette.com. Joining us on the phone lines now, we have a name who is very familiar with the South LaFouche area, former South LaFouche football coach, Coach Terry Former. Coach, how are you today, my friend? I'm doing really, really well. Yeah, great to hear from you, man. I know a lot of folks ask about uh, how old Coach is doing. We hadn't seen you in a while. Where in the world is Coach Terry (laughs) Former right now? I'm in Kalamazoo, Michigan. Okay, what what school are you coaching at right now? 
I'm at Loy Norix High School in Kalamazoo, Michigan. Okay. Uh, so what's I, that like, man? Student about about seventeen hundred kids. Um, it's an inner city type school. Uh, we're in the top division of our state. Um, they haven't had a winning season in twenty five years. Um, I've been here going on my fourth year this year. Uh, it looks like we have a shot at having the first winning season in twenty five years. Coach, uh, what is it about these types of situations that you like, man? It feels like you find, and we're going to talk about your time in South Lafourche in just a minute, but it feels like you find these programs right. that have not succeeded a ton, and then you turn them into winners. What is it you like about those challenges? Uh, well, I, obviously, I, I, I love to see the kids have hope. You know, uh, kids have a chance to, to succeed uh, um, under under proper conditions i'm at a point now i'm old enough and been coaching long enough the stress of winning is not there for me um you know i always want to win but a lot of times you get a younger coach on some of these jobs that they need to win to to solidify who they are and what that you know that they can coach and that that you know they want to move they want to move up the ladder they want to have a successful program but for me success is what you start with uh in comparison to what you end with and uh, what do you do with what you have? And uh, and you know, I think the stress-free environment for these kids. Same at Lafouche, we we didn't go in there with high stress, you know. Um, you know, just try to just try to do things, you know, slow but steady, you know. And the kids appreciate it. And always always bring the love element there. You know, you gotta love the kids. Very good. Look, I'm going to ask you to go back in your memory bank now more than 10 years to the spring of 2009. Uh, how did you even find out that the South Lafouche job was open, much less decide, hey, I want to apply for that? Oh, a long time ago, um, I decided uh, uh, early in my career that I wasn't going to let boundaries of states dictate uh, where I needed to be as a coach. You know, this is, this is you know, coaching is a, is a, is a ministry for me. You know, it's been a great job for me for many years, but it's more than that. It's it's wanting to get up in the morning and go to work. You know, uh, wanting to have that fulfillment that I'm help that I'm doing that I'm making a difference. You know, and and I, I did an internet search nationwide, and you know that job came that job came up, and and I drove. Matter of fact, I drove down there two weeks before I ever interviewed just to just to look around. Took about an eight hour trip, and and just. Uh, and something about it just it just it just grabbed my heart, man. You know, um, it really, really did. And then when I watched him on film, you know, and my assistant at that time that came with me, Neil Barbary, since and since then he's been the head coach the last four or five years here there in Arkansas, won a couple state championships in in eight man football. But uh, he's uh, he's doing well. Um, and told him I thought we had a chance to be competitive, and and given the right circumstances, uh, and that's what that's what took me there. And I love the people, man. I love everybody's uh, – matter of fact, uh, Casey, I went there in November for the 10-year reunion with the, and saw the players. What was that like? Oh, it was awesome, man. We went, to the, we went to the last game, the last home game. I think they were playing Ellender. I think that was correct. Um, and then uh, we uh, went out to eat afterwards and shared some old stories and got to see a lot of the guys have kids now and are married and got to, got to find out what they're doing. About 20 – I'd say about 24 guys showed up. Yeah, that's awesome, man. Now, we had Rusty Bourne yeah. on on the last show, and one of the things Rusty said was, hey, look, um, you know, Coach Farmer got here so late, so we didn't really have, you know, an off season. We didn't have, you know, tremendous expectations. We were just kind of winging it. Talk about some of the challenges that arriving on campus so late presented to you. Um, well, actually, I thought it was a benefit. Uh, um, 
kids didn't have time to get to know me and you know know the rules no i mean it was almost like it was a free-for-all who got to play you know i didn't know the kids i didn't know what they did the year before and blah 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 and and so there wasn't really a lot of uh, guidelines to go by as far as who got to play, who didn't get to play, which was really a blessing at that time because we had kids coming out of the woodwork wanting to play. And and there was no penalty for not being there during the summer or not being there the year before, you know, you know, stuff like that. So it was really actually was a benefit at that time. Now, you guys get into the season early and don't have the full offense put in place. Um, but right. when, when, when did you kind of sense, you know, hey, man, we're – pretty doggone good football team when did you kind of get that feeling um i i would probably say the ed white game because it um losing that game was probably a blessing for us as far as uh our guys were pretty cocky you know they they always even though they had been losing they always had a lot of confidence and not in themselves per se but who they were as, as a as a as a person they're very competitive i really thought we had a shot at something pretty special you guys uh, get rolling, go into district play, and, and, and Rusty said, hey, after we beat Terrebonne, we really kind of had that sense of, hey, man, this thing is, is looking like it may lock and load. Talk about that yeah, game. That was yeah, a physical okay. game. Uh, the terrible game, I mean, they were very talented. Um, we, we They made some mistakes early in the game, which kind of give our kids a little bit of confidence. We really didn't have a lot of confidence going in the game. I did, but the, I didn't sense that the kids did. And um, winning that game really helped them to realize that we can overcome, you know, have a bad game and still win, you know, because we didn't play very well that night. I think it was because they were nervous. I didn't know they were nervous, but the kids told me afterwards that they were. And, you know, when you get when you get beat down so much, you know, uh, the, either on the field or by the media or whatever, uh, you know, these kids are on these social medias, it's hard to overcome. Um, but once you overcome it that first time, I never thought there was another game as long as I was there that we didn't, we didn't feel like we could, we could compete. And it was all due to that one season, that, that energy level continued every year now that we didn't have as many seniors or the talent level wasn't the same, you know, and we didn't catch as many breaks. We caught a lot of breaks that first year. And, um, you know, not, and losing my defensive coordinator, that really hurt us at that time. Um, but, uh, so the kids really thought that they could win after that. And, and you know, we, you know, we go back to that, that last game, you know, early in the game, if something goes our way, you know, again, a confidence thing, I think. Um, I really do. Very good. And, and um, a lot of, a lot of talk is always made of, of the explosive players on offense, but man, you guys had a phenomenal offensive line and a phenomenal <laughs> defensive line. You guys won these games at the yeah, line no of scrimmage, doubt. didn't you? Yeah, Jesse, Jesse Adams, man, uh, he didn't play the first two games, and finally he came out. Dude, what a stud. You know, might be the pound for pound one of the better players I've ever coached or been around. And, and Coach Gisclair did a great job with that defensive line. And Coach Barbary, uh, as a defensive coordinator, I mean, they just gelled. You know, those kids had a lot of confidence. I, I, what did we end up, number two in the state, statistically? Yeah. Um, if I remember correctly, uh, with the points given up and all that other kind of stuff. And, and I, I thought we could, you could have even been better, you know, uh, given, given a chance to have a season under our belt where we could, you know, we, we, we stayed, you know, pretty much in the same defense all, all year. Didn't get to very, very much, you know, to, to compensate for different things. Like that last game we played, you know, there were some adjustments, if, you know, that we had more time with those kids that we probably could have been able to do, um, given more time. 
you know, but, uh, you know, the kids, kids fought some studs, man, some studs, you know, Grady, Grady, uh, you know, going up, going up to Minnesota and playing up here up North and, and, uh, doing really, really well. Um, we had some good kids on that side of the ball, really good players. So, you, you know, you guys start to win and then the snowball starts rolling and rolling and rolling. Okay. So I'm going to take you back to that first day when you drove down the bay and we're visiting the community and, and everything like that <laughs> to, to, you know, when you get into district play and these crowds are growing and growing and growing. I mean, I'm sure you knew from what you had been told that the community had a lot of passion, but did you expect anything yeah, like what you yeah. saw at the end of the year? Oh, no, no, definitely not. Definitely. It caught me off guard a little bit because I thought we left, we let that energy get too high. We forgot, we forgot to bring it back down. We were so excited. I was so excited for the community, for the kids. You know, we, we lost a little bit of edge there at the end of the season as far as fundamentals and stuff like that. Um, uh, just because of all the hype, you know, but which was a great energy. At that time, I think I called it the, the restoration time. You know, we were, we were restoring a lot of, a lot of pride. You know, my first day there, I, I think I went over, uh, Bobby Abier's father's house and there was a group of men of about six guys and I just remember sitting back and listening to everybody all the all the dialect you know uh, all, it was just it was amazing I had so much fun and that man was was unbelievable as far as uh, a good person you know he was so good to me and and uh, a lot of people were I mean there's just so many people down there that was really really good to us you know, and meeting Charlie Como and, and the different ones that really supported me and my family and made it made it really, really wonderful to be there. And and we go back quite a bit. You know, I do. You know, we have friends there in Labadee. You know, we've came back a couple times and cut a couple CDs there in Thibodeau uh, on singing and stuff. So we go back pretty, pretty fairly periodically. But it's, t- it's tough, you know, uh, to see everybody when we're there for just a short time, you know. Um I go, you know, I've seen, you know, Rios, uh, I see a bunch of people I get a chance to go to dinner with just on quick snaps, quick pops, you know, um, and I, I, I would be against coming back someday somewhere. You know, I loved it down there. Very good. And, and coach, I, I got to tell you, this was such a special season to me because I was graduating college at the time, just starting my right. first job. And right. I remember calling you and I was actually in my LSU apartment at the time and calling you and talking about the season. And I showed up, it yeah. was it was week 10, as you guys were playing Central Lafourche uh-huh. on the road. And I <laughs> arrive at the, the stadium, you know, 15, 20 minutes before the game, thinking I'd be okay. And I had to park almost right. a mile away. The place was packed, everybody was wearing <laughs> white, and you guys just had a ginormous crowd. Everybody on the bayou was there. Man, that was a, a right. crazy night for high school football, wasn't it? Oh, uh, it was so wonderful. Every, every Friday was just, it was so wonderful. You know, when we got off the bus that first time we played Central at Central, you know, you, you know, you thought we were rock stars, you know, as far as the players and the energy. It was so much energy when those kids got off the bus, man. They were just, their eyes were all just big, wide open and and uh, just so excited about being appreciated. You know, when, when you're losing, it's, it's, a, it's a negative stigma when you lose. You know, I'm trying to break it here where I'm at. Obviously, it's it's been tough, but, you know, in general, people like winners, you know, and, and it doesn't mean that you gave any more, any less or any more effort than the year before, you know, depending on what the season is, but people just like to follow things that are successful, you know, uh, and, and that's, that's just part of it. That's okay though. That's okay. 
You had the kind of thunder and lightning combo in the backfield of Galjor and Bourne, and those guys just were uh-huh. tearing it up towards the end of the season. Uh-huh. As an offensive play caller, I mean, that was obviously a big luxury knowing, hey, man, I got some thumpers here that could take this thing to the house. Yeah, well, no doubt, but my boys were the bread and butter up front. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you start talking about Big Rafe and those guys, uh, the Sheribees. I mean, those those kids really – Turned it on, and that was another thing about the third game of the season. I think it really clicked for them as the offensive line, and I think uh, I think Coach Fournier uh, really started connecting about that time with the boys, and and uh, you know it was it was good. You know, and the staff was you know all new too. You're talking about putting together a staff in just a short period of time, also. You know, uh, the chemistry there uh, has to be good. I mean, everything all around has to be really really, really well to be that successful. No doubt about it. And you guys go to the, the postseason, play Central Lafouche again. Um, Rusty told me a little secret, and I'm going to see if you could confirm this for me. He said you told the team. Okay. But he said you told the team before the first Central Lafouche game, hey, we're going to kind of, you know, maybe be a little bit lax because we're probably going to play him again in the postseason. Did you kind of hold <laughs> things back a little bit in that first meeting? Uh, play calling, yes. Play calling, yes. Uh, um, you know, defensively, you've got to keep that stable. But play calling, we kept things pretty bland um, in that first game. Is you know that obviously that game wasn't as important, but you know it wasn't the, the most important game of coming up. You know our goals were farther on down the road, um, uh, and uh, yeah, we did. It wasn't it wasn't like we took them for granted by any means, but we we didn't we didn't open up the can of can of worms so to speak. <laughs> yeah, and you get, you get to round two, go take on Westgate, and, and you said, hey, look. We had a bunch of things go our way, but it felt like on that night everything was the opposite. I remember there was a blocked punt that, that could have been a it, touchdown. It, early, it was a safety. Early in the game, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it just felt like things just yeah, didn't go game, your way. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. You know, and in hindsight, I could have done some things differently. You know, I mean, we always think about what we could do differently, obviously. Um, but it just, it just didn't. It just had a bad vibe, man. The whole night. It just it just it just seemed that things were off and, and and I don't know you know where it came from and it just happens sometimes experience you know experience has a lot to do with it you know uh, I really feel if we could have won that game we, we would have been in the state championship game and uh, I really believe that but that game was such a uh, disparity of styles of teams you know and it was just something we couldn't overcome couldn't adjust to and I remember vividly after that game, as soon as the clock goes to, you know, triple zeros, your kids are kind of hanging their heads, but then there's just this roar of applause from the, the, the visiting fans who are showing their appreciation to your season. What did, I mean, I'm sure as a right. coach you're disappointed that you didn't win the game, but do you ever, you know, kind of looking back now in the back of your mind think, man, that, that was awesome. We did a lot for that community during that season. Oh, no doubt. You know, and, and, and both ways too, you know, I mean, I, I still talk to kids that were in elementary school during that time that remember those. I mean, those are memories that you just you just can't take back. You know, that's why it was so important to me for those kids to understand every day. Every day in practice really meant something to somebody. You know, and and um, so I mean, you look back, you, you wish things were differently. Obviously, it'd be nice to have a ring. It'd be nice. It'd be nice to do a lot of things, but it's the journey that really really counts. And those kids reiterated that at dinner time after I came and seen them in November, you know, the appreciation for the journey, um, for the process of what high school football actually does for you. 
You know, there's so much more to it than just winning football games. That's why I've always had a heartbeat for uh, coaches that don't ever get to win because they're in a situation that's so negative or don't have the talent level or they don't, they're the school, the administration doesn't care. You know, they got so many negatives that they don't have that opportunity to know what that feeling, what that feeling really is. And, and, and I, and I feel bad for them because there's a lot of good coaches out there. In your next couple of seasons down the bayou, um, teams were very competitive, but weren't as successful as that first team. Um, yeah. Wh- we, why well, do you we, think that we is? We didn't have 22 seniors. Yeah. Well, we had, we had 24 seniors. <laughs> yeah. That first year. I mean, you're talking about, you know, that makes a big, you know, physical, you know, mental and physical difference. You know, those kids were veterans, even though they hadn't won. I mean, their, their mindset is it's a whole lot different from a 19 year old to a 16 year old or a 17. We played a lot of young kids those next couple of years and still had a chance that we'd have beat Westgate at Westgate. We would have, we would have tied for the conference championship that next year. So, I mean, we were close. We were on the cusp and we knew we had a, a good talented group coming through that if we could just hold on to they got there, we were, you know, we were going to be back on track again. But those two, those two years were really weren't bad. We just, we were playing some good teams, and we just were outnumbered um, in a lot of places, playing a lot of young kids. You know, we were playing – at one time I looked at the field, we had like six sophomores on the field, you know, and uh, playing in a high school football. Down at Destrahan, I think we had – I think we played five – started five and played seven uh, sophomores. So, you know, that's, there's, a, there's a big difference there. I've never asked you this question. Um, uh-huh. I've, what what happened at the end, and, and what were you told whenever you know you were told that that, that we're going to go forward? What happened at the end? Well, I, all I know, I just received the message that they were going in another direction, and and uh, that that was uh, that's all I received. So, other than that, you know, the, the Lord knows uh, where we need to be. You know, I left there, went to Arkansas, and man, it was highly. I had some unbelievable teams and and had a good run at two back-to-back semifinal years. Should should have won a state championship there somewhere. I guess the coaches screwed up again. But, um, you know, I had a good run there. And, uh, you know, I have three coaches from that staff now that are head coaches somewhere. You know, Lord Lord knows what's going on. And, and it was a sad time to leave. You know, obviously leave uh, South Lafouche. But everything happens for a reason, you know, in our lives. And, and I have, you know, there's no... There's no, you know, there's regret that we, you know, we didn't win it that year, but there's no regrets being there or, or what happened. And we just got to keep moving on. And, you know, the funny thing about there's, there's kids like South Lafouche kids all over the nation yeah. playing high school football. And, and everywhere I've been, I've been to, I've been to England and now, now here, at, I mean, these kids, you know, they need me here at this point in my life and in my time. And I, I have no, I have no, I, there's no stopping right now. I want to coach as long as my health will let me. You know, as long as I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm no hurry to retire. Still love it. Still wake up every day. You know, very excited about coaching and uh, and what we're doing. My my problem now is, you know, Michigan is in the coronavirus situation is one of the highest highest states that have coronavirus. Yeah. So I'm not sure. I'm not sure that um, we're even going to have a season. Which is which is a shame because this is the first chance that we're going to have in 25 years to even have a winning season. So, and that was the next question I was going to ask. You know, in Louisiana, we're kind of shut down. The, the schools are going to be opening back up on June the eighth. Um, I mean, how's that for you guys? Are you guys doing some Zoom or are you giving them workouts on Huddle? What are you doing to to get your guys um, ready? We we can we legally cannot have any contact with the kids right now, wow. other than 
we're doing internet school. We're not out of school yet. We got two more weeks of school because we don't start school till after Labor Day. Okay. So we're in the internet. We're in internet school right now. But I can't have any physical con- contact with anybody. So we zoom. I, I zoom them. We do Google Classroom. You know. But you know, unless kids are guided by adults, I mean, they're, they're only going to do so much. I mean, that's 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 almost every kid. You know. Um, but uh, they, I will see. I mean, we we were at a really good pace and a really good level. Um, of conditioning and weightlifting when I left and when we stopped. So if we can get it, you know, going again, uh, we'll be, we'll be, because everybody's in the same boat. You know, every school is the same way. They can't do anything either. So, so everything's, it'd be an even playing field. And um, we've got a group of kids that's been with me. It'd be my first class of seniors that I had when they were freshmen. So, and when I got here, they didn't even have a freshman program. So it's, you know, we've started the freshman programming, you know, so we can build up you know, some, some maturity and some experience. So, but it's all, it's all right. So I'm not sure we have a season, you know, they're, they're throwing out some things that maybe they'll, you know, I don't know. I don't know. It's, it's all up in there. I feel bad for the kids. That's for sure. No doubt. And look, man, one of the things I like the most about you is that you're a football coach. Yes, but you're also an interesting dude. You got a lot of interesting hobbies. What are some of the things you like to do outside of the football field? <laughs> well, well, I, I, I was part of a, a world championship softball team, senior softball team last summer. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, we won the worlds in uh, St. Louis, and I, I still like doing that, traveling on the weekends to to do that. Um, I've picked up some hobbies since I've been up here because the weather is always so beautiful up here. Um, I've, I've been doing some kayaking, uh, different things, different things of that nature. I haven't, I, you know, I had prostate cancer five years ago, and it really floored me physically. Um, I'm just now kind of getting back in the swing of being able to do a lot of stuff right now. Um, you know, obviously the singing part, being able to, you know, make CDs and try to bless people. That's been a part of, you know, what, I, you know, I, we try to do, try to help people in that, in that aspect. Uh, I'll have to send you a couple of our CDs. Sure. And uh, I'll mail, I'll mail them to you. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, I sure man. will. And you've coached um, all over the country. And, right. and what, what's everyone says, oh, Louisiana high school football. What makes Louisiana high school football different? You've seen it here. You've seen it other places. What makes it different? Right. Well, well, first of all, talent. You know, uh, talent in the state of Louisiana, talent, very, very talented athletes uh, in general. But the passion, man, just the passion to want to play the game. It's the most passionate state I've ever been in. Of, of wanting to compete, wanting to play high school football in general. It's very, 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 very uh, compassionate. Uh, as far as athletes, um, you know, I coached in, in Texas, which, you know, they I, I still feel there's not as good at athletes in Texas as there is Louisiana. Texas just it t- puts a little more emphasis into football as far as off season. You know, down there they still play, you know, four or five spring games. You know, a large school. So it's, uh, they, you know, they spend a little bit more time and effort into the, the schools do. Not the coaches, but the schools put more into it. You know, uh, you know, up here in Michigan, I mean, I wish I could have, I could, wish I could take my linemen up here and put and take them wherever I go because there's some <laughs> big old kids up here. They are huge, man. I mean, I mean, monsters. Um, they don't have the athletes at the skill positions as the South, the Southern schools had. But up here, dude. Uh, and then when I went to Arkansas, they, 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 there's a really good coaching in Arkansas. Very, very good coaching. And I, and I believe one of the main reasons why there is is because you have to be a teacher first in Arkansas. And I think that's a big difference. 
You know, when you're when you're if you're teaching job at school and you're with those kids all day long, I think it makes a big difference. And um, and those kids lives and uh, and the passion for it. And, you know, obviously, if 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 football coaching is your secondary job, well, it's going to be secondary in your mind for the most part also. So not that not that coaches that are not teachers aren't good. I just just think ones that are teachers. I think it, I think it goes hand in hand, you know, uh, with the passion, with the commitment level, with the, especially with families. Because you got to realize when you're a football coach, it affects your family, man. I mean, your family and you're away from your family a lot. Um, you're spending a lot of time with somebody else's kids. You know, it's it's a calling. It's a ministry, no doubt. You know, so if you're if you're a coach and you're a teacher too. That really, really helps because it's part of your job. You know, I don't know if that makes sense or not. No, absolutely. But look, my friend, I thank you yeah. so much for the time. You were the very first coach yeah. I ever interviewed as a professional journalist. I'm so grateful <laughs> to all the time you've given me in years past. And look, man, uh, there are folks down the by that are still thinking about you, wishing you well. And uh, I'll give you an opportunity to close out by just saying a couple of words to the people down here. Oh, man, love you guys. I love you very, very much. You know, you know that already. Some of the Booster Club meetings we have are so passionate about kids and what we're trying to do for kids and all the kids that are still there fighting the good fight and the people that are fighting. Keep it up. And it's, uh, high school football is a wonderful, wonderful sport. And uh, and then good luck for this season. Um, I believe you have a new coach this year. I'm not sure. Yes, sir. I thought I, I thought I, I thought I heard that through the grapevine. And, and good luck to him and the kids and and everybody that. Please tell everybody I love them. I sure will, my friend. And hopefully they'll listen to the podcast and they'll hear you say it with your own voice. Thanks, man. Appreciate you. Have Take a care. Good day. At this time in today's world, to hear you know a football coach you know be on the phone lines and say, "Man, tell everybody that I love them." We need more love and support and guidance and compassion in the world. It was great to hear from Coach Farmer. We thank him so much for his time. Let's go ahead and catch a quick commercial break. When we get back, Brian Falcon, a local professional wrestler. Brian's got an interesting career story. Brian's got an unbelievable coronavirus story. All that and more after this break. It's LaFoucheGazette.com. LaFoucheGazette.com is your home for all the latest happenings in the LaFouche Parish efforts to fight COVID-19. Every single day at noon, we have a new story with all the updated numbers and we give um, you know all the latest figures and we keep you informed so that's lafougegazette.com visit us today for all the latest in the fight in the state of louisiana and in lafouche parish against covid19 hi this is professional basketball player randy brown keep listening to casey's corner podcast on lafougegazette.com <laughs> It's the Casey's Corner Podcast on LaFoucheGazette.com. Joining us on the phone lines right now, we have professional wrestler Brian Falcon on the line. Brian, how are you? I'm doing good, man. Good. Sunday great. afternoon. Nice and uh, hot outside. I'm doing good. Good, man. I'm glad to hear it. Uh, you're a professional wrestler and have been one for a long time. Um, so I'm going to ask you, uh, I know we've got an interesting COVID story that we've got to talk to you about a little bit later on as well, but how, you know, do, okay. do you, wrestling and everything like that has been shut down? How much do you miss it? Do you have any guidance in terms of when it's going to come back? Talk us through all that. Man, I I miss it to death. <laughs> I really do. Uh, sitting at home, with home, chance to sit back and think about everything and all the world and what's going on and how everything went from 150 miles an hour to zero. 
But, um, I mean, we did one little kind of YouTube TV taping. Uh, we had like three or four matches uh, with about 10 people in the building. No, kind of like what WBE's doing with the no fans and everything. We did that with Elevate Pro. And uh, we had probably about four matches on. But, I mean, other than that, the last couple of months have been nothing. I haven't been doing anything. Not even going to the gym. The gym's just finally started opening up. So I've been I've been going back within the last couple of weeks religiously. So yeah, that that's what's going on. So tell us a little bit about your journey towards you know choosing to do this. How did it all start? Where did you you know pick it up? You know, is it something you've always wanted to do? Talk. Tell us a little bit about your backstory, so to speak. As far as uh, beginning to wrestle. Yes, sir. Okay. Um, shit. Twenty one years ago. Twenty two years ago. Um, my I had my my father who was fighting for his life uh, with cancer. Um, he was 51 years old when he passed away. And I had my best friend that put a gun to his head. And um, so I had my I had my father fighting for his life, who was perfectly healthy. Um, not perfectly, not, not perfectly, I'm sorry, he had cancer. And I had my best friend who's perfectly healthy, takes his own life. So I was going through a whirlwind of, dude, I was going through some stuff. And um, at 51 years old, my dad passing away, he's still young. I'm like, I'm 47 right now. And I'm still like one in, in really good shape. I just, I just kind of thought about it. Life's too short to do anything, to, to not do what you, you know, to not do what you want to do. And uh, my father loved wrestling, watched wrestling as I was a kid, just like anybody else's story. I mean, I grew up on it. And uh, there was one local organization, Cage Wrestling Federation, that was putting on some shows, some local shows. And I uh, went to the couple, went to the shows a couple times, talked to the owner, and uh, he kind of took me under his wing. And it, the story writes itself from there. Twenty years ago, I've been wrestling for twenty-one years now. Now look, I'm a big fan, uh, so I know all the things that go into this. I know the the physical toll that you pay for getting in that ring. But for the folks that are listening yeah. and are maybe saying, "Oh man, this is wrestling," explain a little bit about how difficult this actually is. It's not as fake as people think it is. We get in there, and we beat the living hell out of each other. Um, from the beginning, a lot of people, a lot of guys that you see go go to like wrestling schools, and um kind of like three or four times a week they're in a school and they have a trainer and I I didn't I came in the hard way to put it to you that way um I say uh, Tommy Martinelli brought me into the business and um I kind of got taken under the wing of many guys like, such as Steve Anthony Kevin Northcutt Al Savage um Joe Kane just kind of take it under the wings before shows and shown what was done. I was just basically thrown into the wolves. I didn't learn through a school. I learned through my matches. So my first couple of years was, Jesus, it was, it was horrible. And then, um, after about five years, I kind of, I, I kind of came into my own character and came into my own self. And, um, uh, a guy named John Saxon pulled me on the side and said, you know, that my character would be so much better if, you know, I would put a mask on and, and become this, this heel. I'd become Minotaur. And uh, he basically, one time in the middle of Mississippi, we were in the middle of nowhere, he threw a mask at me and said, hey, put this on and let me see how this works. 
So I put the mask on and it changed it, believe it or not, it the, the crowd reacted to me different. It was this big three hundred pound guy, six foot five with a mask on now. And the crowd reacted completely different to me. And uh, I, that's where I, the, the, the real, the Minotaur character that you know today it was born. Now, it takes some balls to go out there and want to be hated. Uh, but, but you do it pretty well. Uh, talk about the differences between being a babyface and being a heel. Talk about what goes into that. Now, the difference between being a babyface and a heel, it's easy to tell people to shut up, sit down. Um, I hate you, you this that and the other um it's really easy to do that and when you're six foot five and you're 300 pounds it's it makes it a lot easier for people <laughs> to hate you especially with a mask on because it's, that, there's that mystery behind it you know so it, it was a lot easier but as i, I to i'm like I'm, I'm believe me i'm not going to put myself on his same level but i'm like stone cold steve Austin. he was the most hated guy in professional wrestling but people related to him so as i went through the years and everybody saw me and, and know me and seen me over the years they they kind of drew to me and liked me and liked my attitude so when i come through the curtain now it's like boo we hate him but once it, you know and then they love me on the way to the ring they love me cheering coming unglued and then once i get into the ring and actually do what i do Oh, boo, you suck, blah, 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 this, that, and the other. It's like that mutual respect. So I can be a face or a heel with this character because I've been around for so long. People have seen me so many times. That makes sense. Now, I follow you on Facebook, so I know that you've dealt with some real injuries here, man. Talk about some of the things that that have physically happened to you during the course of your career. Basically, the I mean, I've only had a couple of... of, of uh, Injuries. I had one where I separated my shoulder, where a guy uh, had me in a corner, and uh, he grabbed one of my legs and pulled me out to the center of the ring. And I'm hopping on one foot. I'm like, okay, there's one or two things going to happen to you. I'm going to punch you in your face, or I'm going to kick you. So me, at 350 pounds, I jumped up in the air and insecurity this guy back to head. And he didn't let go of my foot. He held on to my leg that he had that he had in his hand. And I ended up coming down on my shoulder, and I separated my shoulder. That's one of the main injuries I've had, one of the biggest injuries I've had uh, over the, the 20 years I've been wrestling. And um, recently, just out of wear and tear on my ankle, I've had a, a um, um, what do you call it, a, um, a spur on my heel, on my ankle that was in between my Achilles and my heel. So it was just rubbing my Achilles tendon over the years between my regular my regular job and wrestling. So finally one time when I was stepping into the ring, that Achilles finally popped. And when it popped, it sounded like a 22 shotgun going off. And it let loose and it exploded. But other than that, I mean, I say other than that, but I mean, that's a major injury to your Achilles. It's a major injury, but it, it left me out for a good while. And at my age, an Achilles injury such as such as what I had would would kill you. But I've 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 come back strong and I've healed it up, and I'm still I'm still doing what I love to do. And I know, like I, I'm biding my time as as 
as uh as much as I can at 47 years old, but I'm still going strong. I'm still I'm still doing what I love to do. Man, like okay, so you've got to be a special type of personality because like you guys are all working regular jobs during the week and then you're doing this on the weekends. I like to rest on the weekends. I like to go play golf on the weekends. You like to go and beat the crap out of other people and get the crap beat out of you on the weekends. So talk about, you know, it's got to be a special type of person to love to, you know, do this and perform and put on a show for the folks like this. There's nothing better than feeling the energy once your music hits at a show. When I, when I, a lot of people don't understand that a lot of people have seen me my whole career wrestling. I wrestled half my career without a mask and I wrestled um, where I'm well, where I'm mostly known for and, and well known for with the mask on, I've wrestled with the mask on, and a lot of people have seen the difference in that. And so the the, the guys that I've met that I've met within the last couple of years, or well, ten years, dude, you're on Facebook, you're on Instagram, you're on Snapchat without your mask on, but you do have because there's so many people that see me that know me. So when I, I, I the only way I can explain it is when I put that mask on, I turn into Minotaur. I'm Brian Falcon. I'm the fun-loving, I love everybody, have a good time. I am socially, like, crazy. I'm nuts. But once I put that mask on, it's all business. And anybody in my sights, I'm like, I'm Minotaur. I'm half bull, I'm half man. When I see red, that's when, I, that's when my character comes alive. And um, just over the years, I've... I've I've, I've been able to separate Brian Falcon from Minotaur and fans understand it. Some fans don't, but they do under, like they, they come around to it once they see my character and then, then see how I am. So, I mean, as far as separating real life from professional wrestling, I mean, I have a, I have a regular job like everybody else, but my weekends to hear that crowd every time my music hits, I know I'm doing my job. Because when my music hits, you either hear a moan throughout the whole crowd, or you hear the crowd go eight nuts over my music, and that's what kind of it, that that adrenaline, man. It, it's 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 unexplainable. So. Whenever I hit a good golf shot, right away I know, hey, that's a pretty good one. When you, you know, that final referee hand hits the mat for number three, or when that guy finally taps out. Do you kind of have that sense right away? Hey, that was a really good match. Or do you like? Can you kind of tell during the match? Hey, we've got good chemistry. This is rolling. Or you know, how does that go? Can you sense it? Well, when I what I do like during my matches, I kind of listen. I try to listen as much as I can to the crowd and what they react to. So, if I start here, if I if I I hear silence, I know that okay, we got to do something that'll get this crowd up. And fortunately, that I've got the the brain power or the smarts, believe it or not, to <laughs> adjust myself and adjust my adjust my my character to get the get the fans to react the way I want them to do, whether I'm a face or a heel. Most of the time, I'm a heel, so it's a lot easier. But um, yeah, I mean, it, it's it's easier. It, you I, you got to listen to the crowd. You have to listen to the crowd because I see like nowadays. On with wrestling nowadays, they just go, they just go, and they don't listen to the crowd. If the crowd's not responding to you, why keep going? Let's let's do something to get them up or in the in the match, you know. So I listen. I, I do a lot of listening. I don't get to see as many people in the crowd, but I do listen. I listen to their reactions to everything. 
So one thing that's so interesting to me is that, you know, I'm a big wrestling fan. You know, I watch Monday Night Raw like everybody else. I watch SmackDown every once in a while. But I like to ask guys like you, if you guys watch the current product, what do you like, what do you don't like? And, you know, what are some of your thoughts on the current product? Man, we had this conversation the other day. I went by a friend of mine's house that, that's been in the business and, and around the business for years. I haven't watched wrestling in about, I'll be honest with you, I haven't watched WWE in about 10 years. Wow. I really haven't. I, I, I'm the, I, I keep saying I'm the worst professional wrestler there is because I don't watch it. I don't watch the product. Um, uh, we went, I went to my friend's house the other night, the first time I ever watched an EAW show. At AEW, uh, all elite, is that what it is? Uh, yeah, all elite. Yeah, uh, Cody Rhodes and them. I, I, that's the that's the first that's the first time I watched the show, and I'm like, oh wow, this guy used to be in WWE. I actually worked as an extra for WWE in August. I was backstage, and I'm sitting in a chair with next to Vordell Walker, who is phenomenal, who is one of the most underrated guys in the independent scene. I'm sorry, he is. He he should be. He he should have been on the main stage a long time ago. But anyway, I'm sitting next to Vordell Walker, who is a really good friend of mine. I'm going, all right, who's this guy? Dude, that's the champion. I'm like, <laughs> I've never seen this guy before in my life. And so I don't watch it that much. So I get to see things like scrolling through Facebook and I, and I see some things and I'm going, <clears throat> if they would just tell a story, they just going through moves. It's move after move after move after move. If they would just tell a story, slow down enough in between moves to get the crowd reaction. I think the product would be a lot better, but I'm just, I'm seeing, I'm seeing a lot of athleticism that's phenomenal, but a lot of things that does not make sense. None whatsoever. As far as me, I, I, I like to put myself, a lot of times I'll tell people when I'm talking to them in a locker room, put yourself in a chair, watching the match. Would you like what you're doing in a match? Would you hate it or would you like it or would you respond? The way you respond to it and the things that are going on nowadays in wrestling, they don't, the fans don't have time to respond to what happens in a ring. And it's not as believable as a lot of people would seem to think. One of my biggest things being a professional wrestler is I get out there and I entertain people to get away from their regular life. I get out there and let them forget about their problems. I let them forget about everything that's going on in their life and I entertain them. And I tell them a story. And that's where I think professional wrestling has lost in the last few years, is telling stories. They just go with the flow and go through their their mindset. And they just, they, they don't tell a story anymore. They don't give the fans enough time to react to what they're doing. Now, if that makes sense, it makes perfect sense to me, man. You're preaching to the choir here, totally. Um, one of the yeah. things you, you said just a minute ago was that you are listening to the crowd and you're paying attention to what they're doing. So, if you're in a situation here in the future where you're wrestling without them a little more, how much more difficult is that? Because I know, you know, at the the big circuits they're doing it without the fans right now, and it feels like the product is kind of suffering. For you as as an indie guy, how difficult would that be to not be able to have those reactions at all? I'll be honest with you, I've, I've been, man, I've been working at any scene for, like I said, 22 years. So I've wrestled in front of five people all the way up to a thousand people. So it doesn't, it, it doesn't take away from my character at all. When Elevate, uh, we did this little TV tape in the Chalmette, 
uh, probably about a month ago. I thought it was going to be a problem for me. But once to have no crowd, and that's all I can hear were the commentators. Over, and I can hear them. Now, I don't, like when I say commentators, I don't condone like regular independent wrestling shows. A lot of them have commentators and they go over the loudspeakers. I, that, I don't, that's not what I'm talking about. You can actually hear, it's so quiet, you can actually hear the commentators on a microphone in their little microphone. Um, talking. So, I mean, that's one thing that kind of threw me off a little bit because I can hear what they were saying because there's a heel commentator and there's a babyface commentator. And in Elevate right now, I'm kind of face, I'm kind of babyface heelish. So when the when the heel was, was making his comments about me, about how he hopes I lose and this, that, and the other, of course it had me chuckling because I'm under, I'm under a hood and I can kind of laugh <laughs> a little bit. But I've been, in, like I said, I've been in front of five people and I've been in front of a thousand people. I will, I will not let that deter me from my character. I will not let that um, hinder what I do in a ring. So it just it, it it just came natural to me, and I did my my normal thing. Like there was a crowd instead of instead of um, instead of selling my face or selling my my um, my regular. Uh, character to the crowd i sold it to the camera like there was no crowd there so it it, it just it comes to you it, it came to me natural so it really didn't bother me that much i thought it would but it didn't i hear you man now um last wrestling question it, uh, if you know you say you're 47 if you know your time starts to slow down or wind down do, do you envision maybe doing some of that announcing do you envision maybe you know doing a little training or anything like that are you going to stay with this past your in-ring career I, I never i've never thought about it with me being as big of a guy as, as i am i know i wouldn't be able to be a referee i know i wouldn't be able to be a manager maybe an announcer but i'm not really that good i don't i don't i'm not really that good as being at being an announcer so I mean, as far as uh, anything past wrestling, I haven't really thought that. Man, I I haven't really thought about it. I just I just want to live what I'm doing right now because I'm still I'm still I mean, that's if if the people understand what I'm saying is I'm still popping a crowd of what I do. Sure. I'm still I'm still doing my thing, and believe it or not, my my kids and and my kids are especially my, my youngest daughter, she's my number one fan, and she tells me, she's honest with me of what I do wrong and what I do right. And if and I've told her before, look, if I, if I start dropping off and I start looking like, uh, you know, complete hell in a ring and I don't look like it's it's what I'm what I'm supposed to be doing, let me know. And, and 100% behind her, I know she'll let me know. So, I mean, I guess I'll cross that bridge when I get to it. But as of right now, I'm not ready to let it go. But if I have to, I will. To step aside for the newer, you know, the newer kind of generation and the newer. But as far as I keep, as as far as my character still getting that crowd reaction, I still get it. So when that ends, I think that's when I'll cross that bridge when I get to it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, no, I got you, brother. And look, before we let you go, man, um, you have had a wild last couple of months with this COVID stuff. Your mother was so terribly ill and then she fought all the way back man tell us about that story i was following it every step of the way on social media and on facebook a miracle man it was it's truly a miracle tell us about it um i to this day look i'm not i am not a religious person 
I have I've, I've not been for years. I am not a religious person, but if prayers work, I'm telling you right now, the millions. I, when I say thousands of people who are behind my mother, if their prayers didn't work, I'll, I'm telling you that dude, somebody or something had their hand on my mother in a hospital. That's all I know, and I've got a lot of arguments to have with myself as far as um, faith was and. And religious, not religious, but as far as faith life, um, man, my mother went down with a up, uh, upper respiratory infection back when it first started, May 15th, 16th, something like that. I mean, March, March 15th, yeah. 16th. And uh, she went into the hospital that day. They called me and my sister and told us that we needed to get to the hospital and tell her goodbye. And that's how bad it was. And um, I remember my sister the day of uh, went up there and she FaceTimed me and she FaceTimed my wife and my kids to tell her goodbye over FaceTime. FaceTime. And I remember she made it through the night. I remember going up to my mother the next day. And dude, when I tell you the, the person that I am, I'm very real with people and I'm very real with my mother. And when I tell you, if you've seen the picture of me, um, the day my mother came home, I posted a picture of me bending over and I got my hands on my knees with the mask on and I'm talking <laughs> I, I to my mom. I did see and that. Um, I'm telling her exactly what I was telling her while she was in a coma. And I'm telling you right now, I don't know if you got ways of bleeping curse words out, but I was telling her right then and there, mom. If you see that light, you tell that light to go F itself. If you see my father, you tell him to go F himself. If you see your mother, you tell her to go F himself, F herself. Um, we need you here. Me and my sister, my, my your granddaughters, you, you, you know, your oldest granddaughter is about to graduate from beauty school. Your other granddaughter is getting ready to get married. We need you here. I don't care what anybody tells you any light tells you you turn around and come back to us we need you here and uh 56 days later she came home and it was it was a big it was a big party well we haven't had the party yet but it was a minor party when she came home we haven't had the big party yet it's coming oh man you giving me goosebumps man right that's that's the biggest thing we we haven't had any any major like good stories that come out of this, this, this virus. It's all been horror stories. And even, even my, I mean, a lot of people with the conspiracy and all that stuff, I don't care about all that. My, my dad's, my dad's best friend passed away because of this. Her, my, my mother's neighbor across the street, who is probably around our age, passed away because of this. So it's very real. So for my mother to come out of it at 71 years old, to come out of this and still be with us, it, I'm sorry, it's a miracle. It's a it's a miracle. Well, look, man, I thank you so much for the time. For the folks that are not um, not following, uh, you know what we're doing, kind of behind the scenes. I literally messaged you on Facebook, and within ten minutes, we were already on the line. <laughs> so you were very fast acting. Thank you <laughs> yeah. so much for that. Yeah. And uh, look, man, hope I, to see I, you in the I ring love real soon. Wrestling. I love I love talking. Hey, I'm real. I'm real with everybody, and that's that's one of the things that kind of get me in trouble, but still. But but still kind of, that's the good thing about me. I'm real with everybody. I hear you, man. Well, look, good luck in the future, and thanks so much. 
Thank you, sir. Appreciate you. Later. At a time when there's so much negativity involving COVID-19, I thought it would be great for us to have Brian Falcon on to share the story of both his career and then also the courageous story of his mother's recovery. We thank him so much for the time. Let's go ahead and catch a quick commercial break. When we get back, we're going to give you your COVID-19 update. Then it's going to be Adios Amigo on this Sunday. It's the Casey's Corner Podcast on LaFouchGazette.com. And this would be a good reminder to remind you about the LaFouche Gazette app available in all app stores today. Uh, just go to your app store, type LaFoucheGazette.com. You get the latest access to all of our news that we're producing. You can get push notifications and anything that we're producing, we could send it to you on your app. 100% easy, 100% free. You don't have to do anything except go to your app store, type LaFouche Gazette, download our app today. That's where you can get all the latest and greatest and stay informed with everything happening in our community. Again, it's the LaFouche Gazette app in your app store available today. We're so blessed. We've had two wonderful call-in interviews today. Brian Falcon's story about his career and, you know, the recovery of his mother. It's a story I'm going to always remember. And, you know, I, I followed it on social media. So happy to hear it. So happy to hear she's doing better. So happy to hear that Coach Terry Farmer's doing well and doing fine. And uh, such an interesting man. And he's going to be a guy who's forever ingrained in the history of South Lafourche High School athletics. Um, can't wait to see him soon. And uh, I know next time he's down the bye, we're going to look to reconnect. But it's the Casey's Corner Podcast here on LaFoucheGazette.com. Um, we're going to give a quick COVID-19 update. Then we'll uh, put a bow in it. It's Sunday. We know you guys are busy and then are you know, occupying your time in other areas. But we wanted to give you something to listen to on your Monday morning commute or your Sunday night you know, relaxation period in the den with the family, whatever it may be. So here it goes. We've got 39,916 COVID cases in the state of Louisiana. Reminder, that big old fat daunting number is not the number of total cases in the state. The total recoveries in Louisiana are 28,700. That's not an accurate number either because that's more than a week old now. Tomorrow they're going to issue a new recovery number. That's going to probably be around 31,000, 32,000, something like that. Um, Kudos to the state um, because when they set their goal of 200,000 tests in May, I was the first smart aleck, you know, raising my hand, laughing and giggling, saying there was no way they'd be able to pull that off. They did. They reached 200,000 tests in the month of May. So kudos to the Department of Health. Kudos to Governor Edwards for going to Washington, D.C. and securing the adequate, the adequate number of tests and everything like that. Uh, they set the goal. They put their neck on the line. They reached the number that they needed to reach. So kudos to them for making that happen. Um, and kudos to the people in the state for continuing to do the things that they're supposed to do so that we can make progress. Now, um, a couple of things to pay attention to, as we're, and then we're going to dive back into the numbers. Um, tomorrow, it's expected that Governor Edwards is going to announce whether or not the state is going to enter phase two. Uh, remember, we were supposed to be in phase one until June the 5th. Um, I don't have any information. Usually I have a little bit of an inkling into what he's going to be thinking or what he's going to be deciding. I don't have any information either way. I don't know if that's good, bad, indifferent. Um, 
I know New Orleans has already said they're not entering phase two. Of course, of course, Mayor Cantrell would say that. You know what was the funniest thing about that? I'm going to go on a little bit of a, a rant here and be kind of off topic. But I thought it was funny. New Orleans made their announcement yesterday. Uh, oh, man, we're not going to phase two. And then they had the little doctor up there. And God bless her. She's just doing what she's told. Um, but she went on the podium and said almost a direct quote. Yeah, we meet the criteria to go into phase two, but we don't feel the time is right. What the hell do you mean the time isn't right? Like we have a reopening plan for a reason. And if you're going to you know, just not follow the criteria, then what the hell are we doing? Like she got up on the podium and said, yeah, our cases have dropped. You know, they've continued to drop. Our hospitalizations have continued to drop. Our testing capacity has continued to be good. We meet all the criteria, eh, but we just feel like the time is not right. Like, the fact that there are a couple of things that amaze me about New Orleans. And people always laugh at me and tell me I'm being hard on New Orleans and tell me I'm a hater. And that city is embarrassing. Like, it, and the, a lot of the people who know there know that, who live there know that it's embarrassing. Uh, first and foremost, um, to reelect Ray Nagin after Hurricane Katrina was embarrassing enough as it is. And then second, to elect this woman to be your mayor uh, well, I know that they didn't have very many good choices or whatever, very many options, but like I saw her speak during the debates and everything, and I remember tweeting about it like this woman's gonna be trouble. And sure enough, this woman's gonna be trouble. Um, she's not done a very good job, and now she's just going rogue. Yeah, oh man, I, I know that I know that the, the national government has spent millions and millions of dollars to create this plan, and I know that these doctors with decades of experience, combined probably hundreds of years of experience, have made this plan, and I know that other places in the country are doing it successfully, and I know that we have all the numbers and all the data and all the criteria to, to move forward, but we're going to just stay here. That's spitting a big loogie in the face of every single business owner in the city right now. That's hurting. That every single business owner in the city that doesn't know if they're going to have a tomorrow, that doesn't know if they're going to have a next month or next year. You have all the criteria to reopen. The fact that she is just saying, nah, we're good. We're going to just stay in phase one while the people around her are crumbling is deplorable. It is absolutely deplorable. Now, if the rest of the state follows suit and says, hey, we're going to stay in phase one, whatever, and they could back it up with, with guidance and numbers that make sense, hey, I'll get on board. But don't get on the podium and tell me, hey, we meet all the criteria. We know we're good, but we're going to just not do it. That's, that's, that's terrible. That, that sets a terrible standard, and it's just a terrible way to operate. But anyway, be on the lookout for Governor Edwards. He's going to make that decision on Monday, whether or not the state is going to enter phase two. And if they do enter phase two, what's it going to look like? How's it going to go? All that other good stuff. So in the state as well, we've got 2,686 death, deaths that have been re reported. That is just up six from yesterday. You remember in the last episode, I told you guys, hey, look, fewer people on ventilators, fewer people hospitalized. What does that mean? That means fewer people are going to die. Uh, I mean, it's, it's simple math. If you've got 500 people who are on ventilators, that means you got 500 people who don't know if they're going to see another tomorrow. If you've only got 84, then you know that's far fewer people who are likely to perish because of this COVID-19. So the fact that we only added six to our death total is great progress because as we know that number uh conservatively has been in the 40 to 50 range liberally has been sometimes 70 80 90 100 plus per day so to only add six i think is great progress it shows that we're continuing to trend in the right direction and as i said 2800 or 28,700 people have recovered that number is going to be updated tomorrow look for that to be 
beyond the 30,000 range, maybe even closer to 31,000 um, and beyond. 678 patients are hospitalized with COVID-19 in Louisiana. 84 are on ventilators. Um, I did some of this math recently. It's astounding. I'm going to go ahead and pull it up. I, I talked about it on Facebook. It's astounding the, the progress that has been made in terms of hospitalizations in the state of Louisiana. No one talks about it but us because, you know, either the other media companies are not following the data or, you know, don't have the the desire to do anything but scare their you know readers i think that that's terrible but on april the 4th we had 571 patients on ventilators in louisiana now we have 84 that's an 85 percent decrease in like two months 85 percent decrease eight five percent decrease in two months on april the 13th 2134 patients were hospitalized now that number is 678 that is a 68% decrease in like 50 days, not even two months. So we're making progress. And even though cases continue to go up a little bit and folks are getting a little nervous, and I'll talk about what I mean in a second, um, the total number of cases right now really doesn't matter. Okay. Um, if we add 300 in a day, if we add 500 in a day, if we add, you know, have a really bad day and add six or 700 in a day, that really doesn't matter so much because you got to remember something, okay? The idea of closing down and shutting down the economy and sheltering in place and all of those things that we did, that was never the design to shut down businesses or hurt, you know, business owners or it was purely purely a move to keep hospital facilities unclogged purely a move to make sure that we didn't become Italy in the sense of you got two sick patients and doctors have to just decide which one is the most sick and which one to treat and while sending the other one home because they don't have a bed for them. So we, we shut down everything to keep room in our hospital system. And I, it doesn't matter how many total cases of this we have, as long as the hospitalization numbers are dropping and they, or they continue to, then we're going to, you know, continue to be able to move forward and continue to be able to do more and more things. Now, I understand as well, obviously, you're probably raising your hand and saying, well, Casey, if we had a thousand new, new cases a day, then that's more people who are likely to be hospitalized. And that's very well the case. That's that's 100 percent accurate. But I also know this. We've been doing this now for three months. Doctors have been doing this for three months. Doctors are getting a turnaround on the test more quickly than before. So they're treating patients more quickly now than before. And they know what medications are working better than others. They're having better guidance, more experience. And I think we're seeing far fewer new cases turn into hospitalized cases because of A, treating it sooner, B, treating it better, and C, I think obviously, you know, limiting the number of cases and people are doing the things they're supposed to do. So will we enter phase two? I don't know. Um, I think that in some form or fashion, we may grow in some of the things that we're, that we're currently doing. Will we dive headfirst all the way? I don't know. Governor Edwards has been a little bit paranoid about doing that. We'll see. We'll see how it goes. Um, in Lafourche Parish, we have 821 total COVID cases. Um, that number has slightly started to rise a little bit. We were getting to a point where we were 34, 35, 40 cases a week. This week we reported like 50, something like that. Um, and people were, you know, kind of getting paranoid and nervous about, 
you know, hey, we've had Mommy Joe's closed for temporarily. We've had Galliana Food Store closed temporarily. Share Me's closed temporarily because employees have tested positive for COVID-19. Um, do I think there are some small clusters and, you know, things like that that have popped up? Yeah. Do I think that, um, you know, there's a situation where maybe we're just testing a little more and because of that we're finding some positives? Yeah. Um, and then I think it's also a situation of, uh, one thing we got to pay attention to, and I'm going to knock on wood as I say this, um, of the folks at Galliana Food Store, of the folks at Cherami's, of the folks at Mommy Joe's, no one has been critically ill yet. So the fact that we're taking these precautions and you know reporting things right away, closing down right away, uh, it's an economic inconvenience, but we're keeping people safer than what we were at one time. We're doing the right things. And I ranted about this on social media, and I'm going to rant about it now for the folks who don't follow me on social media. You guys who are posting and saying, oh, man, I, you know, I, I don't want to go eat at Mommy Joe's anymore because they had, they had to close down because you know, they're not sanitary. You're a moron. Like, there's no other way I could say it. I don't mean to be rude. I don't mean to be arrogant or whatever. If that's how you feel, you are a moron because, look, this is a – people catch illnesses. You know, you could be the, the – Doctors and nurses get the flu. That doesn't mean that they don't know how to be sanitary. Um, you know, it's just part of life. This, this is an airborne illness. They may have, you know, they may have caught it from their neighbor, may have caught it from, you know, their their grandchild that they were visiting, whatever it may be. Just because you catch this, it doesn't mean that you're not being safe. It doesn't mean that your building is dirty. It doesn't mean that you're doing anything wrong. I, I applaud the places of business locally that have come forward and have said, um, hey, you know, we're going to close our doors. Hey, we're going to be safe. We're going to be cautious because it tells me two things. It tells me one, those businesses care about their employees, which I think is fantastic. And it tells me another thing. Those businesses also care about me and they don't want me to go and eat at their place of business and maybe be at danger. And I think that that's phenomenal. I know the people who own all the businesses that we've talked about. They're all great people. And the fact that they're, they you know, are passing up on the opportunity to make money to look out for me tells me why we should be doing business with these restaurants going forward, should do business with these grocery stores going forward, because they're thinking of our best interest and not their own pocketbooks whenever the crisis hits. And if you honestly, truly believe that there's not been a single Walmart, Lowe's, Best Buy employee during this pandemic who has caught COVID-19, then I've got, like I said on social media, I've got a mountainside cabin in Leeville that you could rent anytime. Just give me a call because it's an outright lie. Those stores have all had people test positive, but they didn't have the foresight nor the foresight nor the care for our community to shut down for a little while, to exhale and to allow business to go unsafe. So keep an eye on the number of hospitalized. As long as that continues to trend forward, we could continue to move forward. We're going to keep catching this. You know, people are going to keep catching this until there's a vaccine and even beyond that. But the, number, the, the key thing is we've got to pay attention to making sure that we have space in our hospital system. That's why we shut down to begin with. That's why we began to reopen is because we started to make that room again. And that's the number that we've got to continue to follow. So we're going to give some Region 3 numbers here real quick. And then we're going to sign off. Lafouche Parish is 71 COVID deaths. That number has been the same for about four or five days now. Region 3, as we hit the state map, we see in Region 3... Um, 10 patients are on ventilators, 110 ventilators are available. That percentage continues to lead the state of Louisiana. 
uh it's gone up by one or two in the last couple of days but i mean stuff varies that's just the way it's going to be uh 10 ventilators in use 110 available the number one in the state in that ratio great to see uh icu beds 47 in use 43 available that's kind of flip-flopped it was you know kind of the opposite it was a few more available than in use but again that's not necessarily covid patients that just may mean somebody had a heart attack or somebody got in a car wreck or whatever it may be that's total number of patients in the icu not necessarily covid patients uh hospital beds available 415 are in use 316 are available um so that number has been steady throughout so those are the numbers that we really got to pay attention to we really got to focus on and we'll see what decision the governor makes but we're going to put a bow on it right here we're going to wrap up it's been a successful show we thank you guys so much for listening go to itunes subscribe on itunes i love that you guys are listening to us on podbean go to itunes find us there subscribe there uh thanks to coach farmer thanks to brian falcon two great interviews they've done a wonderful job and thanks to everybody for listening the show continues to grow and thanks to our list our readers rather at lafougegazette.com our third straight one million page view month no one else in the area is doing that we were last place at everything at one time we ain't last place at everything anymore thanks so much for the support we continue to do things we continue to get have big plans for the future we're gonna have a great summer COVID or not um so keep your browser on lafougegazette.com we've got some other shows coming your way in the next couple of days as we continue to grow this thing so we're going to sign off right here thanks to everybody for the support you guys have a wonderful week guys let's let's all together have a wonderful week start off june in stride it's a new month new beginnings let's have a great month together bye everybody